All right, Hype Nation, it's your boy, Raj Nation, here with a quick message before we start this week's episode. The final stop on the Fall Hype Man Roadshow Speaking Tour is up in Ann Arbor, Michigan on November 14th at the Ann Arbor Spark Incubator. One more time, I'll be delivering how to not suck at pitching your startup, the presentation, and workshop. Here is feedback from Mark, who attended the most recent one at 2112 here in Chicago. Mark said, Raj, thank you so much for your pitch presentation. As a classic nerd turned entrepreneur, I do get lost in the technical and needed the reminder on how to tell a good story. Thank you, Mark, for the kind words. So if you are a founder, if you are an entrepreneur, you got to find a way to get yourself up to Ann Arbor. Or if you live in Ann Arbor and you're listening to this, just drive the two minutes and get yourself over to the Ann Arbor Spark Incubator, November 14th at 9 a.m. And then the rest of the day, I'll be sitting down one-on-one with the companies in attendance to work specifically on their company. So a great opportunity to not only see the workshop, see the presentation, but then get some good free one-on-one help. One more thing before we start this week's episode. The next cohort, the winter cohort of Hype Man Academy launches on November 13th. So what does that mean? Well, Hype Man Academy is the first of its kind, equity-free, affordable, online storytelling accelerator designed specifically for early stage startups to become masters of communicating their value proposition so that you can pitch investors with a clear and confident message and go out and market to and acquire and sell to your first set of real users and customers. Hype Man Academy is only $997 and more importantly, it is completely equity free. So think about that. For less than $1,000, you get a graduate degree, essentially, in communication, marketing, and sales. And you don't have to give out any sort of ownership in your company in the process. So again, the next cohort launches November 13th. We're taking applications right now. All you have to do is go to startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. StartupHypeMan.com slash HypeMan hyphen Academy. Fill out an application there. It takes about 60 seconds. From there, we schedule a pitch tryout phone call where I can get a good sense of where you are today to see if and how this program would work for your company. StartupHypeMan.com slash HypeMan hyphen Academy. The next cohort launches November 13th and we're taking applications right now. All right, time now for this week's episode of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Probably should be pronounced Leif, but my parents Americanized it. Welcome everybody to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am your show's host and the founder and creative force behind Startup Hype Man, helping startups everywhere build their hype by creating a message that sings. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. 
It's about the mindset, processes, and strategies to help you build a badass company. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation to join our tribe at StartupHypeMan.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of this show, getting an email in your inbox every single week when we drop new episodes on Mondays. You'll also get my weekly thoughts, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your hype and create a raving fan base. All right, let's dive in now to this week's conversation of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Welcome back, everybody. Today on the show, we have brothers Frey, Aaron, and Leif, co-founders and brothers of Frey Laundry Detergent. They are changing the game in, of all places, laundry detergent and taking this podcast, taking this call in one of the most unique circumstances I think I've ever had before. Leif is in one location. Aaron is just had a flat tire, so I think he's off in like a highway oasis somewhere. But gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Raj. <laughs> so <laughs> Apologies is, for the car trouble. No, this is this this will be very fascinating. I hope at some point the tow truck guy gets an appearance on this episode. <laughs> so uh, our topic today is how can your brand challenge the norm? Which you know, being co-founders of Frey. Uh, laundry detergent, you're definitely doing that. But can you explain for our listeners why this is on your mind, why this is important to you? Yeah, sure. And it's it's honestly a great question. It's pretty close to home for us, uh, especially because interestingly enough, we've gotten a lot of flack for something that we hope we hope to be promoting gender equality in the household. And interestingly enough, by creating originally what was a laundry detergent tailored towards men. Now we're gender inclusive and our customer base is split 50-50. But originally we started as a laundry detergent tailored towards men uh, off of the hopes that by creating this product tailored towards men and what was typically perceived as a uh, uh, an industry tailored a little bit more towards women. Um, and again, this is just outdated stereotypes that the industry is pushing. Um, so we, by creating product tailored towards men, we are hoping to break down these stereotypes like, hey, men, this is a chore that you guys can and should be doing. Even if you're not single, like married men, you guys should be participating in this as well. And these trends are already happening happening uh, across society, but we wanted to be kind of the first in the industry to be pushing this. Um, but again, interestingly enough, a lot of people uh, kind of push back saying like, hey, why are you trying to, to genderize this? Why is there a laundry detergent for men? That feels unnecessary. And so it's been kind of an interesting dialogue where our point of view is by creating this product, we're helping to break down stereotypes. And some people, at least initially, uh, truthfully, we're, we're fairly um, proud of the fact that by the end of most of these discussions, they're kind of on our side. But initially, people are, are pushing back against that concept. Yeah. And so we've had some people as well who have, from the, the beginning, suggested a gender neutral brand. Um, and when we started off, we, like, we recognized that if we just had a gender neutral product, that would not really be encouraging guys to do more laundry. It would just sort of continue like, you know, the, the stereotype would continue as is. And so we really wanted, as Leaf was saying, to, to break that down and encourage men to participate in this household chore um, more than a gender neutral brand could. Yeah. And not that men necessarily need encouragement for this. We more felt that the problem lay within the industry where most products are gender neutral or leaning towards, you know, you can even think of most advertisements and the scents and the fragrances and even down to the bottle colors and designs. 
seemed to be geared a little bit more towards women. And we felt that was part of the problem. So we wanted to kind of create a product on the opposite end of the spectrum. For everyone listening right now, just to clarify, Aaron is the, or excuse me, Leaf is the first in, person who spoke first and now, and then just now Aaron was the one who spoke in between there. So uh, just do your best to uh, just, just my, uh, voices. <laughs> my younger brother has that rich, deep baritone that I've been trying to accomplish all my life. <laughs> okay. So I, and, and already from that introduction, I, I know I have a bunch of questions about this topic, but before we go into all that, let's talk about you know, your history, your background. Now, Leaf, you just identified you are the older brother. So growing up, what was the older brother, younger brother dynamic like? Were you beating him up? Uh, were you looking out for him? <laughs> how, how were you guys as brothers growing up? Honestly, we, we were thick as thieves. Uh, we're 18 months apart. So not quite Irish twins, but pushing that. <laughs> it's, it's just us two. Um, uh, you know, we were lucky enough to have a pretty stable home life, but there was definitely, you know, some some chaos throughout throughout all of it. And that kind of brought us closer together. We played sports together growing up, so we were able to practice together. There was a small enough age difference that, you know, adolescence didn't really separate us by that much. So uh, Aaron was always keeping up with me and pushing me, and I was doing the same for him. Uh, even down to, you know, we, we would uh, – hilarious stories where – we'd be painting a fence together and like get in paint fights together, or we'd be making our first business was making braided base bracelets that we would sell to our older cousins, friends. Uh, so from the get go, we were, we were kind of this tag team. And, and obviously there was as brothers, there, there were tips here and there, but I think that just brought us closer together. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the like word team is the best description for our relationship. And it extends to, as Leaf was saying, um, to sports, um, to just uh, any issues that we are having in life, to um, work that we're doing. And it's sort of been a dream for a long period of time to have a company that we are working on together. Um, and I know very few people um, who are siblings that would be able to spend as much time with each other as we do. Um, and, uh, and yet we, we still don't hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think it kind of touched on a good point. Some, some people question the decision to go into business with family. And, uh, and yet, you know, the, the great thing about this relationship is that if we get in a d disagreement uh, within business, we, we can have it out. Like, I don't think it's ever come to actual yelling, but we can go ahead and have it out and, uh, and move past it because we've been doing that for 27 years where co-founders who might be newer to each other, uh, you know, even close friends, like having fights is a, is a pretty big ordeal. And, uh, you know, with, with Blood Brothers, there's uh, your brothers. You're, you're not going to let a fight separate anything. So it's, uh, it's been a great dynamic. They do say blood is thicker than water, and you guys have the, you're probably one of the few sets of co-founders who it would be totally acceptable that you get into a living room wrestling match to decide <laughs> what the new company logo is going to be. <laughs> that uh, maybe we'll, actually, honestly, if we, if we came to battle royales, I'd probably always lose. I don't think we'll let that into the company culture, but. <laughs> um, I, I boxed for a while and did MMA for a little bit. And so I, um, so I, you're the one not to miss those. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my, my, my brother is, uh, you know, basically just the same size and weight as, as I am. Um, 
I, I might have him by a, a little bit, but we sort of joke that um, if anybody wanted to fight us, then there are two of us and we're both big. And so um, we would probably win. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, in the movie, The Social Network, when the, exactly when the twins, right? I'm, I'm yeah. 6'3", 200 pounds, and there's two of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of our favorite lines, and we're, we're super peaceful dudes. We would never do that, but it is a hilarious line that, uh, that honestly, one of our first investors, um, we went on stage to pitch and uh, he was telling us after the fact, he was like, yeah, I saw you guys walk up there and immediately I was like, new Winkleboss twins. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you both went, I mean, you went to schools on the East Coast. Uh, Leaf, you went to Georgetown. Aaron, you went to Dartmouth, which is, you know, obviously no, those are pretty esteemed universities. What do you feel was your biggest takeaways respectively from college Aaron let's start with you yeah so uh the best thing about Dartmouth was the exposure to the people there who just all seemed really incredible so um we came from a very small um town you know surrounded by farms and stuff um, a very different culture compared to the schools that we went to um and so I feel like by going to uh, a school like Dartmouth it just expanded my horizons. It expanded my perspective of what was possible because I would see people who were, you know, just crushing it at life. Um, and I would look at them and be like, they're um, like nothing special. What do they have that I don't? Um, and like the answer was that nothing. And so if anybody can create a successful company, um, then I think that my, my brother and I can as well. Um, because like, you know, we have each other and both, we, we are like lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and kind of building on, on that a little bit, Aaron, Aaron alluded to this, but, uh, but we did come from a small town and not that we are big fish in a small pond, but we both graduated top of our class and, uh, and getting these top schools, it was quite humbling. Um, where it's just like, wow, like there are a lot of incredibly intelligent people, um, and not just intelligence, but incredibly hard workers. And I think that was kind of the point Aaron was getting at. We're like, hey, like intelligence is fantastic. And we're fortunate enough to be reasonably intelligent. Um, but honestly, the, the hard work is what really gets people places. And, and over the years, it's just like I would way rather have someone who's honestly a below average intelligence, but a hard worker on my side than anything else. Uh, and so it kind of just like instilled that like, we're not the smartest guys in the world. Like we already knew this, but like there are a ridiculous number of people who are way smarter than us. So we're going to have to work as hard as possible to make this happen. And, uh, and not that we were ever lazy in high school, but I think getting to these colleges, it just made us realize like we were going to up this a couple notches because there are some amazing people out there. And Aaron, you mentioned earlier, you dabbled in MMA and boxing. So at Dartmouth, you actually were part of, uh, I have it right, like the Dartmouth Boxing Club or club, Dartmouth Club Boxing, rather. Um, what do you feel has been your takeaway from boxing and mixed martial arts fighting, not just in the ring itself, um, but outside of the ring? Yeah, so um, in a lot of ways, it teaches you how to have a fight without retaining any negative uh, like feelings after the fight. So it's the type of thing where you can go into it um, and you can be great friends with a guy, um, and, but you go into it and then you just sort of uh, you know, beat each other up for a while. Um, but then after it's over, 
um, you know, it's, it, it's over. And so I feel like with, with my, my brother and I, again, I think that that sort of helped where we could approach, you know, something we could enter into a discussion um, but it would almost always be productive and we would um, always like afterwards still, uh, you know, love, love each other just as much as we did before. Um, and so, so that was sort of a, a big thing is just how to sort of um, separate the idea of fighting from the idea of uh, like doing something together. Um, and, uh, and like, so, so it was, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I think that uh, another like sport I didn't mention was uh, my, my freshman year. I, I walked onto the crew team, and that was a really interesting experience. Where and you really are the Winklevoss twins. <laughs> uh, not, not, not quite like not quite as tall, but uh, um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, not quite so, as a lot of things. But <laughs> and uh, so with that, um, so I feel like one of the things that leads to the greatest bonds is. Um, by having intense experiences with people. Um, and so like my brother and I have had our own like, fair share of intense experiences that we've shared and have brought us close. Um, her, uh, but on the crew team as well, um, when you're in a boat with a bunch of other people all pushing like, themselves to their limits, like to their actual limits, and then some, um, it really just creates an intense experience um, that really creates a bond. And so I feel like that's something that I've seen in other aspects of life as well. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned at least on the, the fighting side, it's, that's a perspective I hadn't considered before, which is it's like you fight here. So you don't care about, you know, or, or so, so fighting doesn't matter, you know, there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree as well. We, Aaron and I spent a couple of years wrestling growing up as well, like actually wrestling. And it was a yeah. very similar experience. We're like, Hey, like let's, let's have it out here. And, and it's weird how that trickles into business as well. Uh, we have some very close business partners and, um, and every once in a while we end up on opposite sides of the equations with like some type of negotiation. So our, our manufacturer, for instance, like close, almost a mentor of ours at this point, And yet obviously they always want to have a higher margin. We always want them to have a small one. So we've ended up on some pretty heated discussions about this and then walk away still really close to them after. And, and like you said, it's, we try to live by this like open, honest, candidness, policy, this kind of policy, kind of this, this brutal honesty um, in all kind of interactions in life and find it's just more productive, more efficient. Nobody ends up harboring anything. And it's uh, just a great way to streamline the process. And honestly, as, as Aaron was touching on, I think it builds more honest true relationships yeah i think you know as co-founders as co-ceos as leaders at the end of the day it's important to be able to have opinions be able to voice those opinions even if other people don't like it hear what other people have to say or hear something you don't like and then have it not have this like lingering negative effect moving forward it's like okay we know where everyone stands on this i disagree but we're going to figure out a solution and move forward which is really hard i think for a lot of people um you know i know i'm someone who tends to i don't think to a really ex severe degree but to some extent carry emotion into or, or beyond you know a specific event happening and it's not really a conducive way it's not really conducive to conducting business in the best way possible. 
it's it's definitely difficult because I, I think you're with 99.99% of the population, including my brother and I, where it's, it's super hard to just immediately drop that emotion. Um, but it's still a good practice to have and to at least be super conscious of it, right? Where I think you'd, you'd almost have to be borderline psychopath to be able to get in a fight and drop everything and like not carry that or not even a fight, but like, and not carry any emotion on further. Right. I think that would actually but, be specific, yeah. Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but at least being cognizant of the fact that, okay, like I'm still a little bit frustrated, but like, that's okay to feel that way. Like the thing was resolved and I'm, I'm going to move past it. Um, and I think that's the bigger thing. It's, it's totally unreasonable to ask somebody to drop all emotion after the fight. But or again, I, I keep referring to fight. It doesn't have to be a fight. Um, it's a great, but, yeah. Exactly. Conflict, um, right? But yeah, it's not, exactly. it's not carrying it with you, not allowing that to impact the order of business. Exactly. And if you find that it's staying with you for too long, it's probably best to address it again because uh, there's clearly something unresolved there. Sure. So Aaron, you're at Dartmouth. Leaf, you're at Georgetown. Aaron, you're studying neuroscience. Leaf, mathematics. How in the flying you know what <laughs> do you come up with a company about laundry detergent sure so uh so this definitely was a side project right the, a lot of entrepreneurs they have this amazing idea and they're like i'm going full force into it this is going to be my career um believe it or not laundry detergent was not our like million dollar idea this is what i want to do for the rest of life and like, we're very excited to do it and we love what we do but uh but at the time, it was, you know, it's all of our friends are going to investment banking or, or med school or some type of grad school. And, and our idea was like, hey, laundry detergent. Uh, so, so how it originally started um, was basically we got to school and you're buying, again, we started as a men's brand. So you're buying your own men's shampoos and men's face products and men's grooming products and hair products and everything under the sun. And, uh, and then we we're using the same laundry detergent that our mother had been using. And, and not that there was anything wrong with that at all, but in this world where we were buying these products that resonated with us and then buying very much a product that wasn't resonating with us. And laundry truthfully is one of the most personal aspects of a person's life. So everything you wear, but also the sheets you sleep in and the towels you dry off with all go through your laundry. So like over 90% of your life is spent in contact with something that's been through your laundry. Um, and so this was again, start as men's, but this is the same story with, uh, with women as well, where most of the current, laundry products don't really resonate with anybody both on a brand level as well as on just a product level um so literally started uh at making laundry detergent in my georgetown townhouse um just I, I remember the first batch we made i was uh sitting watching a movie with a bunch of my friends who were hanging around drinking beer and uh and then you know moved that into and when we moved into our annapolis house uh this is where Obviously, Aaron and I kind of kicked this off together, but that spun into a very small Kickstarter. Aaron was still applying to med school. He absolutely blew his MCATs out of the water, got 100th percentile on his MCATs. Um, <laughs> I was working full-time um, as an independent e-commerce consultant, so that's kind of where the beginning of the marketing lay. But, but again, it was all this kind of background pro uh, background project. Um, but at some, at some point, so the small Kickstarter got picked up by Good Morning America, and truthfully, the, the brand at this point in time was very underdeveloped again it was, it was pretty truthfully half-assed uh and the, the product was, was decent but nothing spectacular but at some point it hit a level where we're like wow if, if people are genuinely interested in this project that we obviously haven't put 
that much thought or effort into like what if we doubled down on this and the and really like thought it out and that's kind of where we picked our heads out of the dirt honestly and, and recognized that there's a massive movement to for these cpg brands to move online obviously this was a couple years after dollar shave club had just sold for a billion dollars right uh laundry detergent so hair razors are 15 billion dollar industry both harry's and dollar shave club are unicorns in a 15 billion dollar industry laundry detergent is 10 times the size of that at 150 billion dollars so massive and yet still at this point hadn't been touched on uh, in terms of a movement online or from a brand and uh and product perspective as well so that's where we kind of delved into uh, delved into the market, delved into our research, built the formulation from the ground up, concentrated everything, made it an easier to use uh, bottle design, moved to this consumption model online and started building this brand story that we wanted to resonate with people. And, and so far, I, I think we've done a decent job with it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we definitely at some point in time um, realized that we didn't want to just be a laundry detergent. Um, right. We didn't want, especially like one that was, you know, just tailored towards men, because then if Tide created a line of Tide for men, um, we would never want to have to complete, compete with Procter & Gamble. You know, maybe at, at some point in time, it might be uh, <laughs> uh, like amazing to like be bought out by them, but we don't want to compete with them because they work on a scale so unlike what we are doing. And so we wanted to be what they can't be. And we realized that what they couldn't be is they couldn't really be a higher end brand. Um, and, you know, so like, so Saks Fifth Avenue sells our products, they would never sell um like tied no matter what it was packaged in or anything like that probably and we don't yeah, we don't want to speak like, in yeah, absolutes yeah, but. yeah yeah absolutely but uh um and sort of the reason for um for for that is because we are not just a laundry detergent we are a brand of clothing care and fragrance products um and so we our products don't look anything like a laundry detergent and uh and we and they don't um, act really, like them either it's it's fleshing out this clothing care idea in the in the modern day and era where everybody's focused on their fragrance and their grooming and their clothing and you're either investing in clothing monetarily or just with your time right even if you're not buying expensive articles on clothing you're you're paying attention to what you're buying what you're wearing everybody has their own sense of fashion and so we're as Aaron was saying we're not a laundry detergent we're clothing care right uh, there's a shoe care analogy that if you buy a nicer pair of shoes, you often buy a shoe care kit to go with it. You want to protect your investment. Same idea with clothing, right? So it's just like, hey, like, and people outspend on clothing five to one what they do on shoes. Um, so kind of changing the nature of this game, turning laundry into an experience. Over 70% of our customers enjoy doing laundry more when using our products. And that's just, you know, who, who enjoys doing laundry? It's, it's, it's a funny concept, but like that's, yeah. And, that's, and, yet, and yet this resonates with people and, it, and it's true. It's like, hey, like I, I get, our, our customers literally get excited to do their laundry now. And our customer reviews are hilarious. Uh, some of the most creative things we've ever written, read in the world um, about laundry detergent. So we're super proud of the fact that we have got people talking about laundry in a totally different way than they've ever talked about it before. Now, one thing you said, Clothing outspends shoes five to one. I would say the caveat is unless you're buying like Air Yeezys, in which case. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but um, one thing I want to come back to, you know, you mentioned the origin of like, you know, how this was like a side project and everything. And I just, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your like, so I'm in the Georgetown, you know, my apartment, my townhouse, 
making laundry detergent. Like, what is this? Like breaking bad? <laughs> How are you just making laundry detergent in your kitchen? It literally, our friends joked about this all the time. It literally looks like a meth lab. Um, <laughs> and, and Aaron's got this analogy yeah. he likes to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so they say that it looked like a meth lab and we would tell them, no, we're making laundry detergent. And then they're like, oh, so you're laundering money. And we're like, no, no, actually laundry detergent. <laughs> yeah, so, when, so when we first started out, it was just, we, we literally bought some chemistry sets and a bunch of um, test tubes and stuff and just spent several months working on the formulation and the scent. So... A couple things now as we dive into this idea of challenging the norm that you've touched on already, and I want to unpack further. Um, at the very beginning, Leaf, you said, you know, the, the industry is a little bit tailored to women. And I would honestly say it's not just a little bit, it's a lot bit. Like, I don't think, like, every commercial that has to do with laundry is like a white woman wearing a blouse. For some, because for some reason, like when yeah. women do laundry, they're dressed up. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, like they have like nicely tiled floors and walls, and yep. they're smelling the towel, and, and like the flower scents are coming out. Right. So I don't even think it's a little. It's a little bit. I think it just is tailored to women. And Great. now uh, I think Leaf, you said earlier, if you you know, like while at this point, it's kind of more of a gender neutral thing at the start, you had to go with the, Hey, this is for men. Now I have some thoughts on that, but can you talk more about how you had to take that stance out of the gate to gain traction? Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's a great question. And you're kind of leading me in the perfect direction, but, uh, Aaron touched on this briefly earlier. If we, if we had launched a gender neutral laundry detergent, um, like so, so what like what do you what do you guys have against procter and gamble unilever unilever or arm and hammer or anything else out there right like you're you're a startup who knows very little about laundry detergent why should we buy you so so our initial proposition was hey well we've got this fragrance tailored towards men and we've got this uh product that looks like it's geared a little bit towards men and and people were buying it based off of the fact that it smelled like it was a little bit more masculine and was geared a little bit more towards men uh, and because we didn't really at the time we didn't have enough value propositions for to compete on a on a gender neutral level and then as we evolved and work with our manufacturers and improved the product on 12 different ways now it's like okay we actually have in our mind the superior product and so we can delve into this a little bit more gender neutral um and it's it's not so much a gender neutral as a line geared a little bit towards men and a line geared a little bit towards more towards women but it created that initial splash of like hey what laundry detergent for men that's never been done before that we're aware of like that sounds weird and, and we got a lot of press and uh and customers just kind of on that proposition alone um and it, it was it was honestly a little bit of a hack right uh but it was one that you know for a startup was absolutely necessary it got people it struck it struck a conversation right um and i think it, it i think it was exactly what we needed to do back with more discover your inner awesome in just a moment but first are you an early stage startup if so, you're probably running on the messaging treadmill where you're trying to figure out how to pitch your company, how to tell the story, how to communicate, market, and sell this thing that you've built. But for every step you take forward, you get pulled back one just like you're on a treadmill because you're either too in the weeds, too technical, or your attention is pulled in too many different directions. Oh, and on top of that, 
You're facing the everyday mental crisis of being an entrepreneur where you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have listened to my family and just gotten that safe and secure six-figure job. Guess what? It's time to get off the treadmill. Introducing Hype Man Academy, my brand new affordable equity-free virtual accelerator designed to build a marketing playbook for your startup so you can confidently pitch investors with a clear and compelling message and go out and market and sell to get your first 10 or 20 or 30 customers. Hype Man Academy is a weekly live online workshop where you work alongside your fellow founders, support and help one another, and get one-on-one access with me through virtual office hours. For information on joining the next cohort, visit startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. That's startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. Fill out an application and let's discuss. Back now to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, and so uh, like we just got through um, Y Combinator, and their motto is make something people want. Um, and so we realized that there were a lot of people that wanted something that was a little bit more tailored towards them. Like most of the scents and fragrances out there um, were fairly similar. Um, and, and so we really wanted to do something a little bit different. And that is, as Leaf was talking before, that is what resonated with people. Yeah. and. You know, as I think about it, to echo some of what you said, there there are so many young startups who are afraid they're going to, you know, turn away potential customers by not taking a stance. Or, you know, if they, excuse me, if they do take a stance, they're going to turn away potential customers. And then what they end up doing is they kind of play this like, yeah, we're for everybody game. But then it's really hard. A few things happen. One, it's hard to choose a market to go after and pick a direction. Two, if you're trying to play to all the markets, you can't come up with messaging that really resonates with anyone because you're tr- like you, you dilute your value proposition and or by nature, value proposition is value to whom? So if yeah. value is to everyone, it's a very diluted overall message that you can't really make convincing, right? Absolutely. There, there's a, a pretty cliche quote that's by trying to appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody, right? Um, and that's, I think that as a startup, you have to be prepared, like, almost inevitably, even as a huge brand, you're going to, quite frankly, piss some people off, right? Um, and you have to be ready to take that in this world where everybody has a voice on social media, and, and they should, like, we're strongly in favor of everybody being able to voice their opinions. Um, it's literally impossible to appease everybody. And if you try to do that, you're going to fall short and probably fail as a brand. And so our initial advertisements, again, very much geared towards men, literally labeled laundry detergent for men. And the amount of flack we got, there were definitely articles about it, but even just from everyday people on, on Twitter and Facebook who decided to take a few minutes out of their day to, to rip apart the idea on a Facebook advertisement. Um, and you, you definitely have to develop tough skin. And, and it was just one of those things where, okay, like, these people clearly against it. Yeah, I, I 100% understand their viewpoint. We disagree. Uh, I think that if we were able to have a true conversation with them, they would see our side of it. But we also know that we have a large and growing number of customers who love what we're doing. And we just have to be okay with it's. It's better to have a core group of customers who absolutely love what you're doing. And uh, it, it's almost better to be polarizing, right? Like have that core group that loves you. And then if other people hate you, even it's at least you getting people talking about it. Um, and it's, it's definitely what we needed to do. Yeah. It's like if for every one person who hates you, there's going to be two people who love you. 
Yeah. And you yeah, have exactly. to accept. I mean, I, I, and we don't need to get into all of this, but like that's the only <laughs> was one was by being polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, another area where I see this notion of challenging the norm happening with Frey is I, I'm just, I'm very intrigued by, in a good way, I'm very intrigued by the way you've chosen to put this brand out there um, in the messaging, in the packaging, but even in the business model. So, right, you take clothes, so what you said, like you've kind of created this notion of clothing care, which is already a departure from the norm. Everyone else is going to call it laundry day. They're going to call it doing laundry, anything like that. They're going to call it laundry detergent. So you've almost made a little subcategory of clothing care. On top of that, you're changing the model of how people are going to interact with this with your own business model because this is a subscription-based product. And I believe you can also get it on the shelves one-off at certain places, but it's an, online, it's an e-commerce business that's driving this thing here, right? Just like what uh, Dollar Shave Club was doing a few years back. And they're still doing, which is through P&G now. Um, and you even have on the website, start your laundry plan. So now there's this notion of having a laundry plan. Wait a second, you're saying I can plan out my laundry for the next month instead of being like, oh crap, it's Sunday night and I don't have any underwear, I gotta do <laughs> Can you talk through the decision to go with the subscription-based business model? And also, I'm curious to get your thoughts, why do you think the PNGs of the world have not thought to do that? Sure, and I think there's it's two very good questions. Um, the first, just answering the subscription model. Uh, laundry for most people is done regularly, right? You have like, I do my laundry on Sunday or I do my laundry on Wednesday. Um, and you can kind of extrapolate that. Well, if you know that you're doing laundry once a week and you're doing a couple loads, right? Like most people don't have wild fluctuations in the amount they're doing laundry or when they're doing it. And so then you can map out when you're going to run out. And so instead of going to the supermarket when, like you said, you're running low on detergent or maybe you're out, you're out of clean underwear. You don't have any laundry detergent. So you have to rush to the supermarket to buy this 10 pound jug of like brightly colored blue goo that doesn't really speak to you on any sort of level. We're offering this like, Hey, like let us make this easy for you. We'll ship it to you regularly if you want it. Um, irregularly if you want it. Like we just want to ease this entire process. And again, kind of going back to that experience where laundry is personal for most people. And so we want to personalize it for you. Uh, and it's just like, you know, so, some things in life are like just part of a routine. And we think anything that's part of a routine in a person's life is easily transferred to a subscription model. And laundry is a routine for most people. Um, and then the second part that you kind of spoke on with the, the, the subscription model aspect, um, I think that ties a, or why the larger brands of the world have not gone to this subscription model. And I think that ties a little bit into the product that they're selling. Most brands have hesitated to concentrate their formulations. Um, and there's definitely this aspect of encouraging overuse. So you notice that if you buy one of the bottles off the shelf, uh, they use that easy pour cap um, and they'll have like lines one, two, and three equate to small, medium, large loads. But then they'll have lines like four, five, six, and seven that don't pertain to anything, but it encourages the customer to fill up to line seven. And so you're literally, they're literally kind of tricking people into using double the amount they want to use, right? Um, and if they concentrated everything and kind of sold it in a bottle like what we're doing, all of a sudden they, lo they lose that like overuse value. Like we, we make it super simple. It's, hey, 
five pumps for a small load, seven pumps for an extra large load, and you're done. Um, and so the, there has a, you, you can't ship these giant bottles around the country in a subscription model um, because it's just too expensive to ship. So they would have to move everything to a concentrated version and then offer a subscription service. And I think that's just too big of a pivot for them. Um, and again, I'm speaking, I, I, I don't know the actual answer to that question, yeah. but that's our perception on it. And I would think, and Aaron, if you want to hop in on this one, I would think too, it allows you, especially as a younger business, to have a little bit more insight and prediction into your cash flow, right? If you're on a model where you know the next order is happening versus hoping someone sees it on the shelf, buys it, and then there's a bunch more like that person who happened to also do the same thing. You know, when you're, when you're at the level of the multi hundred billion dollar companies, it doesn't really matter because your product is literally everywhere and by default, people are going to run into it. But in these younger days, you've, you're creating this more sustainable cash flow model, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, by starting online as a direct-to-consumer company, um, it also allows us to like, establish ourselves um, before we would like, move into any sort of uh, like, you know, brick-and-mortar retail store. I feel like um, a lot of brands, they, their initial focus is on breaking into a, a retail store um, at which point their margins are often cut to nothing to nothing because they have no leverage or anything like that. And the retail store has like, so much power that they will make the company buy back all of their products with, if they're not selling properly and that can bankrupt um, the, the small company. Um, but by starting off online direct to consumer, we are able to really um, you know, target individual people who um, fit our, our target demographics um, or who have like similar interests to um, our, other, our other customers. And then we are able to um, market to them and establish ourselves there in small, um, sort of small doses um, rather than like these massive purchase orders. Uh, and we just sort of are able to get this great feedback from them as well, um, where we will um, almost instantly after the customer receives the product, we will, um, we will know if there is something that they don't like about it. Um, they will just reach out and, and we'll know. It's not the same with brick and mortar retail stores um, where a lot of the time like, the companies um, have to wait you know, months in order to actually get any sort of feedback. Um, and then the feedback that they get is you know, it's going to be harder for it to come from just uh from actual customers just it's it's not going to be as uh like insightful yeah so, so to kind of to, to sum up aaron's point a little bit one of the things we pride ourselves on with this business model is as you touched on raj like the the cash flow is massive but it also gives us direct access to our customers where we're able to pivot and improve upon the product on every purchase order we make because we reach out to all of our customers we find out what they like and don't like about the product. And then we can internalize that data and make a better product literally every two to three months. And that's been huge for us. That's one of the reasons why we've been able to add value proposition after value proposition, because we find out what customers like, don't like, and what they care about. I think too, another part of this too, where you're challenging this no the norm and you know, to use the word disruption, which I don't like using, but, uh, <laughs> but, but quote unquote disrupting is, in the customer experience and in the buying process. Um, 
right? So again, we take what is the standard experience for any other brand? Well, it is go to the shelf. Maybe the colors stick out to you more. Maybe the scent sticks out, sticks out to you more. And then you look at price. And then you, most people are going to make that decision based on price. Now you're in a situation where it's a, it's a luxury product in a commoditized industry. So to get people away from the price conversation and towards the, what do I, what are my values? What do I care about? Right. It's a combination of the messaging, but then I think making it, making that buying process, making the customer journey non-commoditized is also key. So if you're on the, the livefray.com website, the first, and it's a, it's like, okay, what's your laundry plan? The process is, okay, let's get started. And then you're asking, how often do you do laundry? Every two weeks, once a week, frequent three to four times a week. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, these are the possible products for you. Choose which ones you want. And then you see here are my options. And then from there, okay, would you like some extras? So now you're able to say, okay, here's some add-on potential from a business side, there's some potential add-on revenue. Do you get the little $8 stain remover? Now, by the end of it, you know, obviously like your cart is going to be a little bit bigger than if you buy, I don't know, like the big, you know, two gallon thing of Tide or Kirkland Signature at Costco or whatever it is, right? But it was a customized experience. So it's like, okay, that's my $40 every two months. That, like, yeah. I, I chose that. Exactly. Right? And, and one of the things we definitely want to touch on here is that we're, we don't perceive ourselves as a luxury product. The price point is a little bit higher than what you'd find if you bought on shelves, as you said. But if you actually go to, let's call it target.com, something where you have to pay for shipping, and buy one of the other laundry products, uh, we're actually about equally priced. So depends on the day. We don't want to quote an exactly one. But if you buy a, a big pack of pods from Target um, online, we're literally, and we, we do this calculation all the time because we, at first, we were struggling to believe it as well. But, but it's literally part of our value proposition. We're shipping straight to your door. Uh, mm. You're not driving to the store. And so if you include that calculation in your price, then we're about what everybody else is selling as well. But, uh, but the main thing is, as you touched on, we're differentiating ourselves. We're, we're selling this experience, right? Where it is your, your customized solution and we're constantly working to improve that customization to figure out exactly what you want. And we'll, we'll eventually change that builder to, uh, to basically just being a questionnaire. Like, hey, you said, how often do you do laundry? But like, you know, do you, um, you know, do you work in a job where you find yourself staining your shirts a lot? And it won't even be offering you products. It'll just be a short lifestyle questionnaire and then finishing with a completely tailored package and fragrance to you. Um, as you said, it's, it's kind of changing this when everybody else in the industry is saying, hey, we're selling a commodity. We're saying, no, we're going to sell this awesome laundry experience where you're literally going to want to do your laundry. And we, we have customers constantly telling us like, hey, I do laundry more frequently now because I freaking love your product. Uh, and, that, and that's, again, we can't, when we were first hearing that, we were trying to wrap our minds around it. Uh, that's what it's like, that, that's awesome. I, I love to hear that. Well, and I think it's, you know, and, and just one thing I want to touch on too in that buying journey on the website is I, I love when I see, comp you know, growing, young growing companies being scrappy and resourceful. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you've embedded a type form to go through that yeah. process, right? Like, yep. that's awesome that you can just embed some easy software onto your site. You didn't have yep. to like, build a questionnaire from scratch or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. 
Yeah. And it's, again, it's one of those things where we're constantly improving. We brought on our CTO full time over the summer. So that eventually will be yeah, it will custom built from, but, but yeah, but no, when you're, when you're, when you're young and have limited resources, like we're going to do the best we can. And, uh, and again, that's the great thing about our customers. We like, we love them. It seems like they love us and they're willing and happy to be part of this conversation about like, Hey, this is how we think you guys could do better. And we're super receptive to that feedback. I think as well, um, Aaron, what I've noticed is the look of it is different, right? Like the bottle of detergent, which you said is concentrated, right? So you can put, you can get more value in a smaller bottle, but it looks like when I'm at the barbershop and there's the options of like hair conditioner, like shampoo and conditioner, that's what this bottle looks like, which I feel like when you think about the customer experience that people are excited to do laundry, it's not this clunky jug that's sitting on top of your machine. It might be something you're actually like in a way displaying on an outward facing shelf, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, like we wanted something that not only distinguished itself, but also added this element of like class and style to an industry that hadn't really seen that in a, in a long time. Um, and so by, by having a very different looking bottle that looks like nothing like a laundry detergent, it does um, allow people to uh, store it in a place like maybe on top of their, uh, their washing machine or something like that. Um, and it doesn't look uh, sort of obnoxiously large or, or anything like that. Um, and plus, it's also, it's fantastic in cities to have a concentrated uh, formulation if you have to walk to go to a, um, a laundromat or anything like that. Um, it is so much easier to have a small, like, 16-ounce bottle um, that you can easily toss into any bag that you might have or even just, like, carry in, in, a, in a hand. Um, versus having to carry like a, a large jug um, like, around with you for whoever no, like however long it has to be. One more question here before we wrap up. To this point, you know, it started with the detergent. Now you've gotten into like fabric softener, wrinkle release, um, uh, lint rolling. What do you see is the future here? Expand into further laundry. Expand into cologne expand into hair care like what what what, what's in your vision yeah it's a great question one that we're still feeling out our uh laundry is a huge market um so the next step we'll be launching more fragrance lines the next fragrance line will be coming up in in two months um outside of that uh aaron touched on this earlier but we really see ourselves less as a laundry brand and more as a fragrance brand um and our customers have asked us to create everything from shampoos to conditioners to colognes to to scented candles to you know other other cleaning products um and so really that stands as a testament to what we're trying to do here when when your customers are asking a laundry detergent brand to make a cologne um in our mind that was like wow like we're we're actually on to something yet we couldn't imagine a customer asking you know, downy to make <laughs> yeah. a cologne, right? Uh, and, and so we're still figuring that out. We're still talking to our customers about it. We have no pressing need to delve into this other stuff because laundry is so big in and of itself and we're still perfecting our current products. But, um, but we're super happy that, uh, to use the cliche, like the world is our oyster at this point. Mm. There's a lot we could delve into. Mm. So then can you let our listeners know uh, where they can learn more about Frey, where they can learn more about each of you and get in touch with you? 
Yeah, sure. So the website is livefrey, so L-I-V-E-F-R-E-Y.com. Probably the easiest way to get in touch is just shoot us a message directly on there or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, Aaron and I are still very closely in touch with all of our customer service reps. We still handle those emails whenever they're tagged to us. So you can just address it directly to us. Uh, if you find our own social accounts, we'll answer you there as well. But uh, as we said, we pride ourselves on customer feedback and even non-customer feedback, constantly looking to, to build a better brand and better product. So we'd love to hear from you. To wrap up, we will finish by going one by one and giving our answer to today's topic question. Really, what's each of our top line takeaway from this? So I'll go first and then we'll go Aaron and then we'll close with Leaf. So the topic today was how can your brand challenge the norm? Um, I think what I extracted out of this and got really excited about was it's, it's kind of saying what, whatever exists, what lens do you want to place on top of it to compete a little bit differently? It's not like what you've done with your company is like, you're not like changing how, like, like what laundry is like people are still washing their clothes or you're not changing um, that the fact that it's, you know, it's, instead of being a liquid, you're not coming in and being like, oh, we're going to have birds spit at this instead, right? <laughs> uh, you're just finding a different lens, a creative lens to place over what the industry is, is expecting. And what I think about, you know, with, with Startup Hype Man, like what we do is very similar to this in the sense that, you know, we take the, the hip hop artistic entertainment approach to building startups, to figuring out the messaging um, and the, the storytelling component of it. Because I believe that's just easier when sure, you're doing no. things in that, in that respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I'm not going out and telling, you know, telling an early stage company, hey, don't tell people the problem. I'm saying tell people the problem. I'm just saying, here's a way you can think about this differently to be able to do that, to make it easier on yourself to figure out what the problem is. Um, so yeah, so I, I think, and, and, and the line that I think really stuck with me towards the end there was, you said, we're more a fragrance brand than a laundry brand. So I think that's like, that's the lens you've placed on this fragrance, it's not, not detergent. It's, it's about fragrance. Aaron, how can your brand challenge the norm? Yeah, so you uh, definitely sort of hit the nail on the head that um, with our laundry detergent, people are still washing their clothing, but we are just offering a different perspective. Um, and it's one that, like, so we are part of this, you know, you know, younger demographic ourselves. And so we have uh, experience with what people are actually looking for. And as Leaf mentioned before, we are looking for something um, that makes us feel good. Um, and that, that's like such a simple statement. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot that you can do um, to achieve that and in a lot of different ways. And it's something that a lot of the bigger brands aren't necessarily paying as much attention to. And so we like, want people to look good. And so we are formulated to be safer for people's clothing. We want people to smell good. We have a scent inspired by some like, you know, high fragrances, um, but we also want people to feel good. Um, and the, the feel good aspect is we have a strong philanthropic program. We uh, donate 10% of profits to charity and we have a, um, a wash for wash program where via a nonprofit partner, we help wash the clothing of those in need for each purchase. Uh, we're safer for the environment and we help plant a tree for each order again through a, a nonprofit partnership. Um, and so we're just trying to help people 
by feel good by, by using our products. Leaf, how can your brand challenge the norm? Yeah, and, and so you, you touched on this a little bit as well. And, and uh, honestly, that quote earlier, by trying to appease everybody, appease nobody. But, but it really is do, do something different, right? Like tons of people have talked touched on this uh, Peter Thiel like the zero to one book but don't look at the industry and say like okay well like I'm going to do what these other guys are doing and, and hope to to make a small name for myself look at the industry and see what's missing um and and know that in doing this there's a high likelihood some people are not going to like it uh and and honestly that's probably a good sign um and again we we like don't be polarizing just for the sake of polarizing and don't be polarizing just to try to piss people off. But honestly, we, we set out with a goal and a mission. Um, and along the way, like some people misunderstood what we were trying to accomplish. But the fact that we were generating conversation about it was probably one of the, the biggest signs that we were onto something. And so doing something different and knowing that like, hey, like part of the objective here is to get a conversation going uh, is probably, should probably, it can't be a KPI necessarily because you can't really measure that. Um, but it's definitely should be one of your potential goals in business. Aaron and Leaf, the brothers Frey, thank you so much for joining Discover Your Inner Awesome today. Uh, hey, we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Raj. Great, great chatting. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the absolute best compliment you can give is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people can discover their inner awesome. And if you want to extend that compliment further, while you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the various other networks in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as access to the over 100-episode archive, visit the podcast official site, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And remember, for tips, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your company's hype with a message that sings, visit startuphypeman.com. Season 10's theme song is from Sir the Baptist. The song is called Dance with the Devil. It is off his album Saint or Sinner, which you can grab on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and anywhere else digital music is distributed. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining us. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care. And be awesome today. This a dance with the devil girl. Tell me what you gonna do. No, this a dance with the devil girl. And if you can't get a loose, then it's it's a dance with the devil.